Good morning, my Facebook friends and family. Uh, what a blessing it is to be with you today, even though it's a bit of an unexpected blessing and a bit of a surprise. Uh, in Northeast Texas, where we are in Tyler, it is a horrible, horrible weather week. I know it's that way in a lot of the country. In some of the country, it's a lot worse than it is here, uh, but it's bad here. And um, our, uh, a lot of our folks and a lot of our businesses and a lot of our churches tend to shut down uh, when we see that uh, it's, uh, it's going to be treacherous. And, uh, and that's the case today on this Sunday. Um, and our elders have said, uh, made the decision early and from the looks of the streets outside, rightly so, that uh, uh, they don't want to put our people at risk to feel like they have to come into church. And I appreciate their wisdom and their compassion in doing that and their uh, uh, blessing of all of us. Thankfully, in this day and time, that's a little bit easier decision to make because we have things like this, things like Facebook Live, our website, westerwin.com, uh, where our live streaming page is under our social media and resources link. And at 10 a.m. today, we'll be showing a replay of a previous worship service that we had uh, at West Irwin. And I know that uh, you'll want to see that. It uh, has a moment or two in there uh, where we are able to share a little bit about our wonderful children's ministry. And, um, and I hope that you'll be able to take that in. Uh, it will be an encouragement to you. Uh, and that's at 10 a.m. But for now, I thought, well, we're not meeting for Bible classes today, so uh, uh, maybe I should do something. <laughs> and then I got to thinking, well, you know, it is Valentine's Day. And so hence the red shirt, uh, a shout out to my wife, the lovely Joyce Long Allen, who uh, is um, one who said, you should wear red tomorrow. <laughs> and so here I am wearing red. Uh, and wishing all of you a happy Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is really special to Joyce and me uh, because long ago in our own story, um, uh, I gave her a promise ring and it was on Valentine's Day in 1975. We had been dating for just a few months since October of 74. We had known each other since seventh grade and had been good friends all of that time. And, um, and then that first wonderful date uh, after a football game in October of 74. And then in, uh, on Valentine's Day in 1975, I gave her a promise ring. And that was magnificent. It was huge. It was like 0 0.0235 carats. Amazing. And I can tell you that now after having been married almost 44 years, it'll be 44 years married in May, uh, that she still has that ring and it's still very precious to us and to all of our family. She still wears it around her neck at times. Um, and, um, and it's a beautiful treasure for us because God has treasured us with a great love story. And that's a, and that's a wonderful blessing. So on this Valentine's day, I thought, you know, I ought to share maybe a love story. Uh, and so we have, um, a lot of folks that are joining us now, some that may join us later. Uh, and a shout out to all of you, my dear friends, Cindy and Eric Mosley, so faithful to watch uh, these lessons as are Larry and Lynn Murphy. Great to see you. My sister, Barbara Kasky, uh, my older sister, <clears throat> Barbara Kasky. Great to see you. Yes, I had to work that in. Um, Davey and Sonia Carter here, Mary and Robert Lee and others I know that will be joining us. Um, such a great, uh, great blessing uh, to be with you all. 
and to know that um, uh, that our our opportunity for Bible studies uh, are immense. And I'm glad that you're participating with us today. Many more are watching and will watch as well. So welcome, welcome, and happy Valentine's Day. And um, and so I did want to share uh, what I think is one of the greatest love stories found anywhere. Certainly one of the great love stories found in the Bible. It's a story of unselfish love in a time of deep selfishness. One of the darkest times in Israel's history uh, in the Old Testament. It's during the book of the Judges. And that was such a difficult time. As you know, the judges there, there was a, a many judges, um, judges including Gideon, uh, Samson, um, Deborah, um, finally Samuel. Uh, and most all of those judges had real difficult um, uh, morals and ethics and yet were used by God in tremendous, incredible ways. Um, and it was during the time of the judges that this story takes place. That time is sometime around uh, between the 14th and 11th centuries uh, BCE before the Common Era. Um, so during the 1300s to the 1000s, we're not sure exactly when. Uh, but this story is found in the book of Ruth. And it is truly one of the most romantic stories you can read in a lot of different ways. And we'll end uh, with that thought. But I want to tell this story uh, first of all. Uh, the author of the book of Ruth, we, we don't know for sure. Some say it was Samuel. And if that's the case, and it was written pretty early, um, right during the time perhaps when uh, David became king. Others say, no, it's, uh, it's written sometime much later, uh, perhaps during the time of the exile, which would put it in the uh, perhaps in the 500s BCE era, mm -hmm. uh, sometime after the people of God had uh, been taken off into Babylonian exile in Jerusalem, destroyed, Solomon's wonderful temple destroyed, or sometime after that even uh, in the years that would follow. Uh, perhaps with a purpose of providing a sense of God's providence, if it's written around the time of King David, then it would be to try to fill in the gaps in his ancestry and his genealogy, which the book of Ruth does, and we'll get there. Um, and so we want to uh, we want to uh, tell this story uh, today in this very bright spot uh, that is so refreshing in the midst of difficult days, and we have difficult days today too. So a great love story uh, is a is a great idea, I think, uh, to for us all to be encouraged uh, today. Um, and so the, the story is going to tell us, uh, as you consider the purpose of the book of Ruth, it tells us about God's wonderful providence, his love for his people, his providing hand uh, and care uh, for them. It's going to uh, give us a, a great example of racial uh, and ethnic and even national tolerance because of the relationship uh, between the people of God uh, in uh, Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, and Bethlehem specifically, and um, and the people of Moab, who had been enemies of the Jews for such a long, long time, and would continue to be so. And yet, here's a bright spot in this story. Uh, it will tell us about care for the needy, being willing to help those who are in need, um, and have no one to help them. And uh, and it again gives us a history of King David. So a great, great story. Nice to see my friend and brother, fellow preacher Eugene Greer with us. Uh, my dear sister Judy Ham, wonderful to see you. And others will come along. And so if I fail to mention you, sorry about that. 
Um, but let's get started with this great, great love story. I hope you found the book of Ruth. <laughs> it's just before First and Second Samuel, and uh, that's uh, probably a good thing uh, because it takes place right after the time uh, of Joshua and the time specifically of the judges. Um, so I, I think the, the chapters are laid out so beautifully, four chapters. That's why I could do this in one <laughs> short, uh, short is a relative term for Bill, one short Bible study. But I do promise <clears throat> that we'll be through in plenty of time uh, for you to be able to do what you need to do to get ready uh, to worship together. Uh, if you're worshiping together with our West Irwin Church family, we certainly invite you to do that starting at 10 a.m. on our westirwin.com website. Scroll over to where it says uh, social media and resources, and that'll provide you with a link to our live streaming page. And in that big blue box, it will turn into <laughs> magically, uh, thanks to uh, so many of our wonderful people, including Terry Frick and others, uh, that will magically turn into our worship service that's um, live streamed. In this case today, it will be a replay of a, of a service that we had uh, on January 10th, and we'll feature uh, a short video about our children's ministry and our Wednesday night Bible hour. So I really hope that you'll take that in again. And if you haven't seen it, at, uh, didn't see it uh, live or in, or online on January 10th, then I hope that you'll you'll be able to tune in um, as well. So um, so this great book of Ruth is laid out in four chapters, and in each of those four chapters, it's a it's a significant chapter. Uh, in this beautiful love story. And it begins uh, with a woman by the name of, of Naomi. Uh, Naomi and her husband, uh, Elimelech, are good Jews, uh, descendants of King David, or their ancestors of King David, descendants of Abraham. And they live in uh, the area of uh, Bethlehem. Uh, and, uh, and so Elimelech and Naomi uh, are, they're there and they're living faithfully to God and then God sends a famine uh, along the land. Sometimes it was an oppressing army that God would send in the cycle of the judges when his people got away from him. Because of blessing, they would get complacent and comfortable and then that would lead to disobedience. And, um, and God, so God would provide an enemy. God would provide a, a reason for them to turn back to him. And in this case, it was a famine that drove Elimelech and Naomi out of their homeland for a while. During that time of the judges, that cycle would continue. The people would repent after they had been oppressed by an enemy more than likely for a while. And then God would send a deliverer, one of the judges, to them uh, to help them and to care for them. And the people would, after repenting, the judge would deliver them. And then the cycle, unfortunately, would start all over again. Um, but with Elimelech and Naomi, it's a little bit different because when they suffer famine in the area of Bethlehem, uh, they go across the Jordan River on the other side of the Dead Sea uh, east into Moab. Moab had been enemies of God's people forever. Uh, their history goes back to the days of Lot and his family, and that's a that's a very very dark story in the book of in the book of Genesis as well. Um, but in this case, Elimelech and Naomi have two sons, Malon and Kilion. And so they go uh, over to, uh, to Moab, and it says they stay there about 10 years. And while they're there, Malon and Kilion, you know, very important for individuals to continue the line of the family. And, uh, and so they take Moabite women as wives. And uh, the two women are Ruth and Orpah. 
and they become Naomi and Elimelech's daughters-in-law. Well, during that time, unfortunately, Naomi's husband, <clears throat> Elimelech, dies. And also her sons, Malon and Kilion, die while they are all in Moab. And so after a while, Naomi hears, um, remember, she's a Jewish woman. She hears in Moab that God has delivered his people. God has delivered her homeland. And so she is going to go home. And what she tells her daughters-in-law is, you need to stay here. <clears throat> I will go home. I will go back to my people. They will receive me. They will take care of me. But you need to stay here. This is your homeland. This is your people. You stay here. You find husbands. And <clears throat> may God bless you for the kindness you've shown to me and to my family. Uh, and, and initially, <clears throat> both Ruth and Orpah, say, no way, we're not leaving. We're not leaving you. Uh, we're going to stay with you. <clears throat> we'll go with you. We'll take care of you. And Naomi says, that's crazy. You guys are crazy. You don't need to do that. You need to stay here. Um, I can't give you a son <laughs> to raise you, uh, to raise for you to become your husband. We'll talk about the law of leveret marriage a little bit later. Uh, that shows up in, Dennis, in, Gen in uh, Deuteronomy 25 that has such an impact on this story, especially later. But that's what she's referring to. I can't have children so that you can marry uh, still within my family and carry on the line of my deceased sons. Um, and so she says, and even if I did have children now, it would be forever before they were ready to marry. And I'm not going to ask you to make that sacrifice. You need to stay here. You need to find husbands and may your life uh, be blessed. <clears throat> and so with that, um, uh, uh, Orpah stays and she decides, look, I'm, you're right, I'm leaving. But Ruth does not. And so this incredible, wonderful passage uh, that's found in Ruth chapter one that you've heard many times, but not in its context. Um, it, in verses 15 and following in Ruth chapter one, look, said Naomi to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Ruth 1.16, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized, verse 18, that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You've heard those words, haven't you? Haven't you been to a wedding where you've heard those words, perhaps sung in that great old song, Whither thou goest, I will go. Um, thy people shall be my people, thy God, my God. Uh, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if aught but death parts you and me. Those words capture the love and devotion and loyalty that should exist between a husband and wife. And so for that song or those that scripture to be read at, uh, at a wedding ceremony is, is, is exactly appropriate. But in its original context, it wasn't told between a man and a woman. It wasn't told between a bride and a groom or a husband and a wife even. It was told between a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. Ruth, a Moabitess woman, 
tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, this Jewish woman, I'm not leaving your side. You go home, I go with you. You stay there, I stay there. You live there, I live there. Uh, you worship there, I worship there. I'm not leaving you. Nothing but death will part us. I'm, I'm staying, I'm staying. And Naomi sees her resolve and she sees the spirit of this young woman, Ruth. And she says, well, all right then, we will go home. And so they return to Bethlehem, uh, Naomi, a, a destroyed woman. And as Job does, as others do, as you and I likely have done at times, reaches out to God in lament and uh, in pain and in hurt. And this is what happens when she goes home in Ruth 1, beginning at verse 19. So the two women, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, from Moab, went on until they came to Bethlehem, Naomi and Elimelech's hometown. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, of course. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? The word Naomi means blessed. Don't call me Naomi, verse 20. She told them, call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. So her name goes from blessed or pleasant, Naomi, to Mara, bitter. I went away full with her husband and her two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Naomi struggles, of course, as we all do, when we don't feel the Lord's presence and blessing. Um, and, and she does what Job does, what uh, Habakkuk does, what so many have done, and reaches out to God and uh, exclaims her pain. God knows what's in our heart anyway. And so Naomi is willing to be open about that, just as Job was, and to share that. Um, the story continues. Uh, in chapter two, we are introduced to a man by the name of Boaz. And what happens is Ruth goes to Boaz's field to gather grain. Of course, they have to live somehow. Naomi no longer has a husband or sons to take care of her. Ruth has nobody. She's, she's in a land that's not even her own, her own homeland. And I'm sure, I'm sure everyone looks down on her, except for the fact of her loyalty to her mother-in-law. Um, and that is what makes the difference. Um, chapter two, beginning at verse one. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. He was related to her deceased husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Um, basically saying, this is what poor people do. They go to someone's field and according to the law, you don't go back over your crops a second time to get what's missed. You leave that there for the poor and for those who are refugees in your country. Um, that's what the law said. And that's what Ruth, the Moabitess, says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, the Jewish woman, now widow uh, with no sons. Ruth says, let me, let me go do that. We need to eat. We need to provide something. 
And so Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Verse three, so Ruth went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Uh, and so the story heats up. Verse four, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They answered. He was a wealthy man, a man of means, a man respected in the community. Um, verse five, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Boaz scoped out the scene and he immediately recognized there was someone there uh, that was not one of his workers. And it was a woman. And he said, who, who is that? Who is this woman that's trying to gather food for herself and her family? Verse six, the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Everyone knew that story. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvester. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Um, so Boaz, verse eight, said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are, harvest, are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Very important even today, but certainly so um, 3000 years ago. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have, feel, have, have uh, filled. Um, great story of the safety and provision of God through this man, Boaz, and this woman, uh, Ruth. Boaz blesses her and uh, invites her to gather from his field, and she appreciates that. Ruth 2 verse 10, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And she could have said a foreigner from Moabite, one of the enemies of the people of Israel, of your people. Um, and Mo Boaz's answer is remarkable, not just in, in speaking of his faith, but remarkable from the sense of Ruth's faith as well. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. And that word is Jehovah, Yahweh, that special name that God gave to himself from with Moses at the burning bush. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth's response, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your own servants. Her great humility, her great devotion and loyalty to her mother-in-law. At mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. 
What a great story. What a great man Boaz was. He had great compassion on this woman. And you could say, yeah, may, he may have already had plans, and that could be true. That could very well be true. But be, whether that's the truth or not, likely is. Uh, Boaz cared for this woman when he didn't have to. He cared for Naomi when he didn't have to. Uh, and yet he did. There were no other relatives that were there that were trying to take care of, of Naomi. And as we're going to see, there was at least one that was even closer in connection to Elimelech, her deceased husband. But it's Boaz who reaches out when he finds her gathering in his in his field and reaches out to her with compassion and with protection and with provision. Verse 17 of Ruth 2. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So she, this is the first we can find, I believe, of a to-go box. You ask for a to-go box, you ask for carry-out, I can't eat all of my meal at the restaurant, and they bring a little styrofoam box and you put it in there and, and you take it home. Well, that's exactly what happens here. It begins with Boaz and Ruth. And Boaz says, yeah, you be sure and take this home with you, for you and for your mother-in-law. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. This is far better than Naomi thought would happen. I mean, for all she knew, Ruth may not even make it home at all. And certainly not with great provisions of food for them. And yet she did. And Naomi says, what in the world? Who did this? Who did this? Then Ruth told her mother-in-law, the middle of verse 19, uh, about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And then this great woman of God, Naomi, uh, that faith that she hadn't given up on, um, even though she had been through quite an ordeal and struggled, uh, that faith is still there. Verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And by that, she means the Lord. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers, one of those relatives who can take care of them because the, Naomi's husband and her sons had died. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Basically, he gave her a job. That's what that means. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide for you. Uh, you come here and you work and you uh, get grain and you take it home uh, to Naomi. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And that is absolutely true. Unfortunately, still true even today. Verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Um, great, great story of God's provision uh, and of Ruth and Ruth's devotion and of Boaz's uh, humility and compassion, but this is not the end of this great, great love story. It's only the halfway point. Chapter three of the book of Ruth, Naomi plays matchmaker. You remember the song from the fiddler on the roof? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match 
Find me a fine, catch me a... Okay, well, that's enough of that. Um, Naomi, like <laughs> like so many of our wonderful friends do, um, they see a perfectly content and happy single adult and just have to find a match for them. Okay, well, that's not completely true. I, I'm just playing with you all. Uh, but it's kind of true. And it kind of starts with uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Okay, so she's doing it out of compassion for Ruth, who had shown her so much compassion. I get that. Uh, it may be that she's also doing it for her own uh, long-term uh, uh, provision, which is certainly true as well. <laughs> but she is beside herself because um, Ruth is, is still single. And, and it's just more than she can bear. And she says, I got I got to find you. A, I got to find you a catch. I got to find you a find. I got to find you a match. And she knows exactly who the best prospect is. Um, and so Naomi comes up with a plan. And she says, I want you to go. I want you to put on your nice, nice outfit. I want you to bathe and have good perfume. And I want you to go and I want you to to go to Boaz when he is in bed, and uh, and I want you to lay down at the foot of his bed. And I think there's nothing immoral going on here, but I think what is going on here is Ruth uh, being told Naomi by Naomi, her mother-in-law, you need to let Boaz know that he's the one for you. And if there were more in Ruth chapter three, she might have added something like, you know how slow these men are. They just don't get it. Um, well, that she could have possibly said that, um, but Ruth does exactly uh, what her mother-in-law uh, tells her to do, and Boaz is overwhelmed um, because he apparently is a, a little bit of an older man. Um, we don't know if he's a widower himself. We don't know. Maybe he had never married, uh, but he is one who um, certainly didn't have children, and now, um, now Ruth is coming to his life, um, and and Ruth realizes that her mother-in-law is right. Uh, this man is the man uh, that can uh, be my match, uh, that can be my life's love. Uh, we read uh, of this interaction between Ruth and Boaz uh, in verse 10. When he sees her there, he tells her, Ruth 3, verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. What kindness is that, Boaz? You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. You've, you've, you've come to me. Instead of setting your, setting your sights on some younger man, and possibly better looking, perhaps even wealthier, who knows? Boaz says, you've, you've come to me. And he is touched. Verse 11 of Ruth 3. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. What a great reputation Ruth, this Moabite woman, had built among the Jews. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer for our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz and Ruth both concerned for their reputation, certainly for Boaz's reputation as well as Ruth's. 
and um, and and Boaz says, you, you leave before dawn so that no one will know uh, that you were here, that we talked, and we'll take care of this. Um, verse 15, he also said, his compassion is amazing, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? <laughs> She probably figured it went pretty good because you haven't gotten home yet. Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Um, what a great interaction. Um, this, this kindness that Boaz shows uh, to Ruth and to Naomi, this generous spirit that he has, this desire to help them and to provide for them long before he's even connected with them. But he's right. There is someone who is closer. This idea of kinsman redeemer, this idea of redeeming her, uh, this whole idea of leveret marriage, again, is found in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, where it, it makes provision so that a woman can be cared for if her husband uh, dies. And and the law, according to Deuteronomy 25, says, well, the if there are younger uh, brothers of the man, then they are to try to provide for her and to take her as their wife and, um, and, and provide so that that line of their deceased brother can continue. And of course, so that this woman can be cared for and not become uh, a poor widow in the land. Um, God provides for his people. And we, we've heard this story before in that crazy outlandish story that the Sadducees test Jesus with in Matthew chapter 12, uh, a sect of the Jews, the Sadducees, uh, they come to Jesus and they give him this story about a woman who married a man who was one of seven brothers and he died and then the next one married her and, and he died and on and on it goes until the woman dies and and the, they ask Jesus because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection and that's what the story is about. Um, they ask him, well then whose wife will she be at the resurrection? <clears throat> and Jesus uh, responds to them uh, very strongly and says, you don't know the scriptures. Oh, you know how to find the book, chapter, and verse, but you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. And so he says, look, in, in heaven, after the resurrection, there, there, there's not marriage. Uh, people are, are spirits. People will be um, like the angels. But he says, as far as the question of whether there's a resurrection or not, there is. And we know that because of what the Bible says. The Bible says that God says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God is not a God of the dead, Jesus says, but a God of the living. Well, that whole story, that whole test is based on this, this connection, this idea of leveret marriage, where a close redeemer, a close relative will redeem a woman uh, whose husband had died and now who needs someone to care for her. Uh, we've even uh, seen some of these stories in um, in modern day books or TV shows or movies. Um, and so this is this is Naomi's reaction after uh, Ruth tells her all of this story, tells her everything that happened, shows her everything that Boaz gave her to take home uh, in her shawl. And uh, and so Naomi, being the wise woman she is, knowing humanity, knowing men. And knowing what this, how this story has gone, she knows where it's going to go. 
And so the last verse of chapter three, verse 30, verse 18 says this, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until this matter is settled. Naomi says, he's got it bad for you, honey. You just hang tight. <laughs> you don't need to text him. You don't need to call him. You don't need to go over there. You just sit tight because I can tell you this man will not sleep until he's figured out a way to get this done. It's such a great, great story. Uh, Naomi is so wonderful. Ruth is so wonderful. Boaz is so wonderful. Our God is so wonderful. Such a great, great story. Final chapter of this love story, Ruth chapter four. Um, Boaz ultimately marries Ruth, redeeming Ruth, but also redeeming Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, a widow, um, left childless at the death of her two sons, but not completely so, because she was not left by her daughter-in-law, this Moabite woman, Ruth. Again, the law of leverage marriage comes into play here, and so Boaz has some business to take care of. Uh, in chapter four, that's how it starts. And they always did business at the town gate. Uh, chapter four, verse one, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned, the one who was a little closer in relation to Limelech than he, uh, came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So we went over and sat down. This guy may have an inkling of what's going on, but may not. Verse 2, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. So he's doing this publicly. He wants it on the record. Verse three of Ruth four. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to it except you. And then I am next in line. So no one separating uh, above, uh, no one separating these two. Um, and the man, of course, says, I will redeem it. Sure, I'll buy it. I'd love to have that land. That's no problem. Verse five. <laughs> then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Okay, so there's a hitch, my friend. And the hitch is this. You, you get the land. You get to take care of Naomi and Ruth as well. Verse six, at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. Mm, yeah, maybe you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And then this interesting sidelight of the tradition of how this business transaction took place. Verse seven, now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. And I remember seeing that in a movie or two where they actually take off their sandal uh, and the elders of the town spit on him who would not come through for, um, for, the, uh, uh, for the deceased. Um, but this man is unwilling to go there. And so they do this. Verse eight, so the guardian redeemer, and he's never named. He's just kind of Mr. So-and-so. Um, the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Verse nine, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon, her sons. 
I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown today. You are witnesses. Boaz basically says, I'm marrying this girl. I am marrying her and there's nobody that's going to come between us. And I'm going to provide for her and I'm going to provide for her mother-in-law. And, um, and, and, and this, this story uh, is going to go on. Uh, they have that back and forth. And then Ruth becomes Mrs. Boaz. And in doing so, she receives this incredible blessing from the people and the elders of the town. Verse 11, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, uh, the, the wives of, of Jacob, who were the mothers, basically, uh, of the, the nation of Israel, um, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Remember, that's where all of this is taking place. And that should give you a clue about some things to come. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, this Moabite woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We're going to say more about that story in just a moment. And so again, the blessing of blessings continues in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, verse 13 of Ruth 4, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, not to Ruth, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, this Moabite woman that refused to leave her, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then one of the most emotional and beautiful scenes in all of scripture takes place. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child, Ruth and Boaz's child. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And so it's not just Ruth that is delivered here, but it's Naomi. Remember, she was a widow. She had sons who, who died. And now the only family she has is this Moabite woman who had become her daughter-in-law and who refused to leave her and continued to care for her. And now Ruth has found a husband in Boaz and Ruth and Boaz have had a son and they take that son and they place him in Naomi's arms. This woman who had experienced such tragedy, such difficulty, and yet had shown such great faith. And they say, Naomi has a son. If I could get in the DeLorean with Doc and Marty, this is one of the places I'd like to go to and go back to and be a part of this great scene. There's a little bit more to know, however, about this story. Verse 17, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Such an incredible, incredible thing. Naomi has a son. And all of this leads us to King David. Verse 18, and this then is the family line of Perez. 
Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Uh, we read a little bit about some names here. Uh, Perez, early on in this ancestry line. Perez was the son of not just Judah, but of Tamar. Tamar had also been the son, uh, been a wife, a woman who had experienced the law of leveret marriage uh, because she did not have children from Judah's son. And Judah said, don't worry, I'll give you one of his younger brothers to take care of you. Well, he never did. He never did. And so she disguises herself and disguises herself as a prostitute and Judah sleeps with her. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of Jacob's sons is Judah. Judah sleeps with this prostitute and she is with child. And it is Tamar, his daughter-in-law, whose husband uh, had died and Judah had not provided for her. And so he's about ready to have her killed because of her adultery. And she says, I've kept a few things from this man that I slept with. Do you recognize him? And Judah says, you are more honorable and righteous than I. And so Judah and Tamar have this son and his name is Perez and the ancestry line goes down and it goes down to Boaz and it goes down through Boaz to King David. All this leads us to David and David leads us to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter one, these words in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he starts with Abraham in Matthew 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. But it was Judah who was in the uh, line of Jesus Christ. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, one of five women mentioned in Matthew 1. We'll talk about that in a moment. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And it seems like this is the same line. There are some discussion about this, but Rahab is another woman who is mentioned here in this line of Christ. Rahab, the harlot, Rahab, the pagan woman, uh, of Jericho that in the time of Joshua is saved and becomes a part of the people of God, uh, an ancestor herself in this story. Salmon, the father of Boaz, verse five of Matthew one, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, this wonderful Moabite woman we've read about, Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, Verse six continues, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That woman is Bathsheba. Again, one of the only five women named in Matthew one's genealogy of Jesus Christ. And all of them have a story. Uh, Bathsheba, Matthew just couldn't even bring himself to name her. Uh, when he got to Solomon, he said his mother had been Uriah's wife, Uriah the Hittite. Um, and so five women named in that genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, one more, Bill. Who's the last one? Well, she doesn't get named for a while, but her name is Mary. And she too had a story. 
she too had to face ridicule, ridicule and question about this pregnancy that she claimed was from God, that no one I think really believed except for Joseph and the followers of Jesus until that tomb became empty. And so this story in the book of Ruth is perfect for Valentine's Day. Is it not? Is it not just the greatest love story? It's so wonderful. And my friend Sandy Goodman from San Antonio guessed it. Yes, Sandy, shout out to you. Yes, it's the story of Ruth. Uh, Lonnie, you weren't wrong. It's also the story of God and his love for his people, because this will always be one of the greatest love stories in the Bible or anywhere. And so it's right to tell the story on this Sunday morning, Valentine's Day, 2021. Because it's the story of a wife and her husband, Ruth and Boaz, and what a magical, wonderful story it is. But it's also the love story of a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law, Ruth and Naomi. And that's really where that story starts. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely of anything but death parts you and me. Ruth told that to her mother-in-law, to Naomi, who needed her so desperately, more than she even admitted. This is a wonderful love story of a wife and her husband, Ruth and Boaz. It's a wonderful love story of a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law, Ruth and Naomi. But ultimately, this is a wonderful love story between God and humanity, all people, all people created in his image because it demonstrates his care and compassion for his people, the Jews. It demonstrates his care and compassion for this Moabite woman, Ruth. It gives us a story, a love story of God's care and compassion for all people created in his very image. For God so loved the world, John 3:16 says, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but would have everlasting life. And then this great passage from Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope that you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. I hope that you're able to join us at 10 a.m. in just a few minutes on our westerwin.com live stream page. Uh, scroll over social media and resources, click on the link that says live stream page and that big blue box will become our worship service from several weeks back. And I hope you'll join us or join someone over this next hour or so as we worship our God together. Happy Valentine's Day. Again, we praise God for his care, for his provision, for his compassion, for his love. God bless you.